welcome to Grace Family Church. We are so glad you decided to check out our podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching from Pastor Tommy will encourage your faith and lead you towards the greatness God has planned for you. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy this message. Take a moment. Shannon did this at the beginning, but uh, we also want to take a moment to really remember our veterans and those that have served uh, and just... uh, given their time and their efforts in our service for our country. So if you're a veteran, you've served, could you please stand to your feet? We just want to recognize you. Um, There we go. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We are grateful that you served, and we're grateful to everybody that served. You know, Memorial Day, we remember those that have passed. Veterans Day, we remember those that have maybe retired from the military and all those that serve. So uh, we're grateful for them and uh, thank them for their service. Um, also do want to remind you about our Wednesday night services. We started those back uh, at the beginning of the fall and there are several things that go on on Wednesday nights, a lot of good stuff. Um, one of which is our youth group meets on Wednesday night and um, uh, I was just told that this Wednesday night, uh, in, in addition to their teaching, they're going to have a game night. And so if you are a teenager and you have a favorite board game, please make it out for that and bring it out. And that'll be this Wednesday night. And then also this coming Wednesday evening, we have a special guest minister that will be with us. I won't be here. I'll actually be out of town. But Patrick Sutherland has a history with our church. He's a tremendous minister. And uh, he's going to be here on Wednesday night. And so I would encourage you to make it out for that if you normally wouldn't make it on a Wednesday night. Let's be hospitable and make the time to come hear what he has to say. Uh, I I just think it'd be a blessing uh, to Patrick and also a blessing to to have folks here to listen. And so I just encourage you to make it out for Wednesday night. And then also, just to let you guys know, on Wednesday, November 22nd, that's the Wednesday before the Thursday that is Thanksgiving Day. Um, And uh, we will be having service that evening, but it, because there's so much travel and, and ladies are cooking for the next day to celebrate and thank God, uh, you know, that's, they're serving their families and serving the Lord and preparing those meals. And so uh, some may not be able to make it that night. So we're going to have an abbreviated probably 15, 20 minute service. And it's just going to be me probably singing a single song. And then, and then we're going to do a quick communion service to thank God for what he's done for us. And so if you have the time to make it out for that, that's great. But if you're tied up in your family obligations serving them and on worshiping God for your family, then we certainly understand that as well. So that'll be the Wednesday before the 22nd, just a brief service. Uh, so just wanted to let you know that. But we will be, we, we're going to leave, our doors are going to be open at any time somebody wants to make it to the services we've announced. Amen. So we'll be here on Wednesday night. All right. Um, I want to uh, continue the series I started last week. You know, we, we just finished up uh, about three months of talking about uh, the love of God and how the love of God should be reflected in our actions towards others. And I would encourage you that, uh, man, that's a revolutionary way of living if you really embrace it. And so that should be a part of your regular diet, uh, just the, the love of God and how you can walk in it. I would encourage you to mark those out on the website, those messages, and maybe once a year, just go back and listen to them as a part of your yearly checkup to make sure you're living and walking in the love of God. But uh, I started a new series that'll carry us through the holidays. It's talking about love again. Uh, we're talking about God's gift of love to us. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10 is the foundational text we're using. So I want to read that, and then let's just pray and trust God for what he has for us today. First uh, John chapter 4, verse 7 says, Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. Notice this, for God is love. Everybody say, God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of God for our sins. Let's pray before we begin. Father, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you so much you're so good to us. And I thank you that, you know, uh, that you show up and that because we've come together in your name, you, you are here by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so I just ask you to use me and speak through, to, through me to your people. I ask you to uh, help me say things as you would have me say them, uh, that we would communicate truth and, uh, about who you are so that we can know you for who you really are. I pray that there'll be a greater revelation of just how much you love us this morning through what is preached. And I just give you praise and thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, um, as I said, you know, um, uh, uh, 
the previous series we really taught was on, you know, the, the actions and attitudes we need to have toward others as it, as it pertains to showing the love of God. But, you know, what I've pointed out at the beginning of this series is notice what it says there. It says that he that loves not does not know God. So what that verse tells us is that for us to be able to love like God loves, we have to know him for who he really is. And I made this statement last week. I actually believe it was just a statement the Holy Spirit sort of spoke to my heart. And, and it was this statement, you will only love to the measure that you understand and know God. Um, you can hear messages all day long about you need to do this and you need to do that and you, you need to forgive. And, you know, we can strive at doing the actions of love. But what this verse says is, is when you get to know God for who he is, love becomes a part of who you are. And you're no longer trying to love, but it's just coming out of you. Matthew chapter, four, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 43 and 44 and 48 says this. It says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. Then it says this in verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. He didn't say do perfect. He said be perfect. And, and I pointed out last week that being is different than doing. Doing is an action outside of yourself that you're trying to perform. But being is just letting the essence of who you are come out of you. And what Jesus was saying here was is that for us to love and to forgive and to be like God is, we have to be him to the world. We have to allow him to live through us. And that's why Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what, what uh, Paul said to the uh, church at Galatia was, is that this Christian life that I've been called to is not a life of me trying to do what God would want me to do. Because that's no different than trying to live up to the old covenant and do the things God said. No, he said this Christian life is a, is a life of me stepping aside and allowing the real person of Jesus to live through me. You know, and so, and so what we've talked about is, is that then if, if that is the case, then for us to, to know who God is and to, and to dis allow him to live through us, we have to have our understanding of who he is. And so who is God? Well, our opening text told us in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, God is love. So what does that mean? What does that look like to say that God is love? You know, there's lots of different things we can think about when we think about love. You know, we can say we love pizza. How many of you love pizza? So we, we can love certain things, but how many of you know, realize loving certain things is not the kind of love that is being talked about here. It says God is love. That word love is agape. It's a different kind of love. It's not a human kind of love. It's a love that comes from the heart of God and is never ending. And so what this verse says is it says that God is the essence of love. That is who he is. So what does that look like, though? So we took ourselves last week to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, and these verses will be the real foundational text from which we build this series. And what it says here is this, it says, love is patient, and that word love is the same word as you know, when it says God is love, it says God is agape. Well, that word love is patient, is agape is patient. So love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. And so in that verse, we see what love is, right? And so often, as I said last week, you'll hear that read at a wedding, right? As, and this is the way that a husband should love his wife. And it's an example of how we should all love each other, right? But, but I think one of the things we don't do when we read this verse is look at it as a description of who God is. But when the, when, when the scripture says God is agape, and then it says here, agape is, is this, then we'd be doing no disservice to say God is this because he is agape, right? And so let's read it in that nature. It says in 1, John, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 8, let's just take God and put that in the place of love because God is agape, right? 
So God is patient, God is kind, God does not envy, God does not boast, God is not proud, God does not dishonor others, God is not self-seeking, God is not easily angered, God keeps no record of wrongs, God does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, God has always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, God never fails. So what we see in 1 Corinthians 13 is that God is the embodiment of these things. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about one characteristic of who God is. The very first one, I want to talk to you about the fact that God is patient. Everybody say God is patient. Now, as we approach the subject of God is patient, we have to understand a couple things. First of all, the first thing you've got to understand is what does the word patient mean? And as we look to the Greek concordance of what this word patience means here in, in Scripture, uh, it actually has two definitions. The first definition of patience is to preserve through difficult, to persevere through difficulty. So a person that is patient has the ability to endure through difficulty without getting bent out of their frame about it, right? And to wind up on the end, coming out on the other side, doing pretty well. That's what patience is. And in one sense of the word, certainly God is patient. How many realize he'll stick with you through the toughest times? He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And if you stick with him long enough, he may not settle up on the end of the week. He may not settle up at the end of the month. But if you stick with him, he will bring you out on the other side and you will overcome. And so that's one essence of the word patience. But the, 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 uh, the uh, second definition of the word patience is probably the more real application in the context of what is being spoken of here. And that definition is this. Love, uh, patience means to suffer long. Matter of fact, in some translations it says, uh, you know, love is long-suffering. So it means to suffer long, to forbear this is, this is actually from the uh, Strong's Concordance. To refuse to retaliate with anger or vengeance or judgment. To be patient in bearing the offenses of others and to be slow in avenging to punish. So, so when the scripture says God is patient, this is the more, uh, you know, uh, I think this is the more practical application as it pertains to God's interaction with us. God is patient. He is slow to anger. He is slow to punish. He is slow to judge. And we see that in Psalm 145 verse 8, my, my most favorite verse of scripture in the Bible. It says, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. And so God is a God that is patient. He is slow to anger. But here's what I want you to think about for a moment, and here's where I want to go with this, because I think it's important to understand this, and I really believe the Lord has challenged me to teach it this way this morning. For someone to be patient, it actually means that there has to be something that, that, is, that is driving them to not want to be patient. Does it make sense? I mean, if you're patient, there means that, that has to mean, if, and if the definition of patience means uh, withholding anger and judgment and, 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 uh, and wrath, then what that means is, is that patience is present when those emotions are present as well, right? Matter of fact, if you didn't have those emotions, then patience wouldn't be necessary because it wouldn't be pressing on you to show the other. And so here's one of the things that I want you to see. When we say God is patient, we're saying that one aspect of God's nature is to suppress another aspect of his nature. Right? Yes, absolutely. Because if you think about it for a minute, if, if, if God is patient and he's long-suffering, then that would mean if he never got angry, if he never grieved, if he was never upset over something, then there would be no need for him to be patient. Right? There has to be something that's withholding in him. And I think it's important for us to recognize that God is patient doesn't mean that he tolerates injustice. It doesn't mean that he tolerates unrighteousness. And it doesn't mean that he tolerates unholiness. It actually means that there is something within him that is intolerant of evil. That is intolerant of, uh, of a lack of holiness. That is intolerant of unrighteousness. And as a holy and just God, just to, uh, he, he's a God that does disdain evil and, and ungodliness and unholiness. He does not like that. Amen? Are you with me? 
And so for me to, for, for, for us to, to say that God is love and that God is forgiving and that God is all of these things, but to never bring out the fact that there is a part of him that does not like you. How many realize God doesn't like evil? He doesn't embrace evil. He doesn't like unholiness because he's purely holy. Getting really quiet in here. Right? But to just bring out the aspect of God that he's just patient with us and he just tolerates sin and he just tolerates this, it's not a proper perspective of who God is. And as a pastor, I would be doing a disservice and a dereliction of my duty to proclaim to you that God is just a God of love and just accepts everything and is not, uh, uh, is not indignantly furious about unrighteousness and unholiness. As a matter of fact, he actually is. And, and so, you know, it would be wrong for me to not teach this side of it. And I think it's important because, uh, because if we don't see this side of it, I think we minimize the magnitude of God's love toward us. And we're going to see this. But, you know, as a church, over the 22 years I've pastored this church, I've talked about the judgment of God. I've talked about different things about God in this respect. But I spend most of my time, because I believe it's the calling God's placed on my life, to talk about the goodness of God and the love of God. And the reason I spend most of my time doing that is because I believe there's been such improper teaching on God's disdain for holiness, uh, unholiness and God's disdain for sin and God's disdain for evil that you have to work really hard at teaching a lot about God being good because most people are afraid of God as some God that's angry with them because of their sin. And the truth of the matter is, is God is very, he doesn't like sin, it infuriates him. We swear, I'm going to show it to you in scripture. It angers him. It instigates a response that says, I want to be vengeful. I want, I want, I want to pour out my wrath on this. <laughs> but there's another side of God that restrains that. And so, and so I spend a lot of time talking about the love of God to undo the baggage of people being afraid of his judgment. Being afraid of his righteous indignation for unholiness and his vehement opposition because he is so pure and he is so holy. So that being said, I want to teach a greater aspect of who God is this morning with the hopes that by the end of this, you don't walk out of here afraid of God. You walk out of here grateful for his patience and you see the magnitude of his love in it. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2 says, preach the word of God. This is, a, this is God's commandment to me as your pastor. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. How many of you believe we need good teaching? For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will teach them whatever their itching ears want to hear. How many of you realize hearing that God loves you and God forgives you and it's okay, just keep on sinning, that feels pretty good to a human being that's living in sin, right? And there are churches across the world that are filling up because they're not talking about the aspect of God that he is pure and he is holy and he doesn't tolerate sin. And so what this verse says here is they will follow their own desires Look, each and ears wanting to hear, they will reject the truth, and notice this, and chase after myths. And then it goes on to say, work at telling others the good news. Everybody say good news. And fully carry out the ministry God has given you. So notice, my job as a pastor is to make sure that one of the things I do is dispel myths about who God is. It says it right there. What is a myth? A myth is a, is a widely held but false belief or an idea. So one of my jobs is to dispel wild, widely held and dis, but, but, but um, false belief about who God is, right? And so one myth about God is this, is that he's, a love of, that, that he's a loving God and there is no anger or judgment or wrath in him over sin and unholiness. That is a false teaching about who God is. He is absolutely a holy pure God that has no tolerance for sin within himself. Amen. 
And so we need to understand that. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to endeavor to give you some understanding of a truly holy God that requires the quality of patience and uses the quality of his patience to withhold his furious, righteous indignation back from those who rightfully deserve it. Amen. Notice verse 5, though, what he says there, he says, but he says, notice verse 5 again. He says, work at telling others the good news. Everybody say the good news. So my goal is not to scare you this morning. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, right? A proper understanding of God's hatred for sin. And God's indignation and wrath at executing judgment upon injustice and evil and sin should not cause us to be afraid of him. It should cause us to be grateful for who he is and grateful for the other aspects of his character that hold back that wrath. Amen? I, my, my I'm going to endeavor this morning to take you to a place that is very, very scary, but to bring you back from it by showing you who God is so that at the end of it, your heart is even more filled with gratitude for a God that loves us this much. Can you pray and believe with me that God will help me get this done? Because I really believe he's challenged me to do this this morning. And I believe when you walk out of here today, you will be so secure in your relationship with him, but so grateful because of his great goodness that your gratitude for him will rise to a different level. And so first let's establish that if God is patient, we have to acknowledge that there's something within him that requires a restraint that patience affords, right? So let's first establish that there, is things, there are things in life and there are things that, about this planet and about creation that do anger, frustrate, and grieve the heart of God. And they do spark him to furious anger <laughs> and wrath. Notice Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 8. I'm going to read you some Old Testament scriptures first. How many of you realize when we talk about the fact that God is a God, he gave us a new and better covenant, we talk about God giving us a new and better covenant, what a lot of times people will do is say, okay, because he gave us a new and better covenant, all this old covenant stuff doesn't apply anymore. How many of you realize the Bible says God is God and he changes not, Right? So if the scripture tells us in the old covenant, this is an aspect of his character, this will always be an aspect of his character. The dynamic of a new covenant may change his interaction with us because of that new covenant, but he's still this way. So I want you to, I want you to recognize something about God. It says, even at Horeb, speaking to the nation of Israel, you provoke the Lord to wrath. Everybody say wrath. Well, that's anger, right? He got angry. And the Lord was so angry with you that he would have destroyed you. Ever been that mad at somebody before? <laughs> so God, when he sees injustice, when he sees unholiness, it makes him angry. Exodus chapter 15 verse 7. And the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger and it consumes them as a chafe. That's God, right? That, is that not a picture of what God does in the Old Covenant? That's part of his character, right? Getting mighty quiet in this spirit-filled church. I'm taking you somewhere. But I want to show you something first, because sometimes if you don't realize what you've been saved from, because you think God's just this passive, mealy mouth, hold your hand, pat you on the back of the hand, God, you, you won't appreciate as much what he's done for you. Isaiah chapter, I'm sorry, Ezekiel chapter 7 and verse 8. He says, now I will shortly pour out my wrath on you and spend my anger against you. Judge you according to your ways and bring on, all of your, and bring on you all of your abominations. That's what God says, right? Right? We can't just ignore it. Isaiah chapter 13 and verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel, terrible, with fury and burning anger to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. Getting really quiet in here. First of all, let me ask you a question. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, don't be worried. I'm going to give you a little precursor. But I want you to see 
that this God of love that we talk about also is very angry over wrong, injustice, and sin. It, makes, it, it doesn't make him happy. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12, even our sweet Jesus displayed anger over injustice and wrong. It says, and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. Do you think he did that with passive, mealy-mouthed hands? And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. What is he saying? Jesus himself, the Jesus that we serve, that we worship, there is an aspect of him that does not like wrongdoing. A lot of people say, well, you know, that was before Jesus died on the cross and, you know, um, you know that, that's all old covenant scriptures you read. Well, let me tell you, Paul writes to the church about God's wrath and judgment. He writes to the present day church and Christians, first of all, about the judgment that every believer will face. How many of you realize each one of us will stand before the Lord as a believer and give an account for our lives? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10 says, So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. So here's two dynamics we have to deal with as a believer, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more probably in just a moment, I think, unless the Lord leaves me otherwise. One dynamic is, is you have been sa- if you call upon the name of Jesus, you have been saved and you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and he sees you as his righteousness, Right? But as his righteousness, what this verse says is our goal is still to live in a way that pleases him. So what that tells me is we can fall short of that sometimes as born again, righteousness of God and believers, and not live in a way that pleases him. Right? So for me to stand and tell you you're forgiven and it's all okay, that's not really, I mean, that's certainly a statement in an essence. If you put it in context, it's probably right. But in and of itself, it can't stand alone. Because there are things we can do in our life that are not pleasing to God. Getting really quiet in here. I knew it was going to be like this. And the Lord just told me, plow through it. Because we'll get to a place. It says, for we must all, why do we live, want to live in a way that pleases him? Notice what it says, for we, we, speaking to the believers in Corinth. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we have done in this earthly body. So as a believer, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you will give an account of what you've done in your life that has not been repented of. Now, I always put not have been repented of it because some people can take that to mean every little thing you, you ever did in your life, you go give an account for it. No, if you ask God to forgive you for it, it says he will remember your sin no more. Therefore, that sin will not be brought to recollection when you stand before him because the blood of Jesus took care of it. And what this verse is talking about is really not necessarily as we read it in context and we look at the judgment seat of Christ for the believer, which is different than the judgment that a, a lost person will face. What this verse is talking about is what did you do with your life? Did you spend your life self-seeking and self-serving and not furthering the kingdom and not blessing others? That's what's going to be measured. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13. It says, but on the judgment day, fire, everybody say fire. Well, that doesn't sound pleasant. But this is the judgment for a believer. Fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. So what's going to happen, and if his work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if his work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So what is he saying? He's saying that as a believer, you're going to stand before God, and the sum of your life is going to be placed in the crucible of the furnace of God. And his fire is going to measure that. And if your life has been spent building the kingdom and serving others and loving others, that's going to remain. But if your life has been spent just serving yourself, not furthering his kingdom, not investing in his purposes, that's all going to be burned up. And notice what it says there. It says in verse 15, "But but if the work is burned up, 
the builder will suffer great loss. So your life, the, the value of your life, the sum of what you give him for what he's done for you, you well, you'll have nothing to show. What a, what a, man, can you imagine standing before the king of kings we talk and we sing about and not having something to put in front of him to show this is what I did for you, not because I earned to earn your salvation, but to show you my gratitude and my love. See, we spend all of our lives seeking our castles and our kingdoms and our comfort. But do we think about that we're going to stand before him one day and, and, and it ain't going to be about what you earned in this life. It ain't going to be about what you got out of this life and what you built in this life. It's going to be about who you invested in for the kingdom of God. Where did you serve and where did you help God's purpose? And what this verse says is that if you, you haven't done that, it says you're going to suffer great loss. And notice what it says, though. This is reassuring to you as a believer. I want you to recognize this because I wanted to do this judgment first before I get to the other one. It says the builder will be saved. Well, how many of you can say hallelujah to that? How many of you have fallen short of living your life the way that you needed to live it? Or how many of you have been selfish at times when you could have sacrificed? Well, that ain't going to send you to hell. What this verse says, it says the builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through the wall of flames, right? So what, what, what the, the judgment of a believer is not a judgment of whether you go to heaven or hell. It's a judgment of what you did with your life, and it's a fiery judgment that won't be pleasant. I mean, to put a life in front of God, I, even if it's just a little bit that gets burned up and a lot, that burning up, I'm going to be so ashamed of that. Why? Because he gave his all for me, Right? And so there is a judgment of God that will burn up and consume that which is not holy. There's a righteous indignation of God that requires that he judge that which is not holy, that which is not pure. Now there's a second judgment the Bible speaks of that will be experienced by those that refuse to accept the life that Christ has for them, that refuse to accept what Jesus has done for them. And I want you to understand something, that this judgment that comes resides within the God that we call a God of love, right? Romans chapter 2 and verse 5 says, to the, those in Rome who had yet to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, and, and laid down their life and submitted their life to him in submission to say, I'm giving up my life and I'm taking yours. Right? It says, because of your stub stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. He says, a person that's rejecting God and not accepting the life that Jesus gave himself for so that you could have it. It says, I don't want that. You're storing up wrath. Everybody say storing up. So what that tells me is this. You're not getting wrath immediately for the rejection of what God has provided for you if you're an unbeliever. You're storing it up. Jude quotes Enoch's prophecy of the judgment of God. In Jude chapter 1, or actually it's not in any chapters, but Jude 4 verses 14 and 15, it says, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our sovereign Lord. Wow, that's pretty strong, right? They pervert, I, want, I just want you to think about the, the, the strength of that statement. They pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality. That's okay, God forgives you. No, that's not what grace says. Grace says what he said to the woman caught in adultery. He said, go your way and sin no more. Right? Verse 14, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. Now, once again, remember, this is talking about the person who has accepted Christ. So, everybody close your eyes for a minute. Nobody looking around, nobody looking around. If you've accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you've submitted your life to him, just raise your hand real quick and say, that's me. Okay, so if you've accepted him, what I'm about to read does not apply to you. You can open your eyes. If you haven't accepted him, I owe it to you today to tell you this is what is in store. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, see, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones 
to, to, to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness. And all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. There is coming a day when the God of love that we serve, because he is righteous and holy and pure, and he can have no unholiness in him, will have to, because of his holiness, and because of the character of his justice, will have to execute judgment upon a person who has not accepted the free forgiveness that he offers. Here's the coming wrath upon those who have not accepted, and you know, especially nowadays we talk about you know the end times because everything's happening in Israel, and it seems like anytime something happens in Israel, we heighten the talk about Jesus' return, and certainly it points to the fact that Jesus is returning. But after Jesus returns and takes his believers away, there will be a period of tribulation where God pours out his wrath. A God of love. We could go into countless theological conversations about that, but I think the Lord just would have me leave it right there. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 1 says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels. Now, where did this voice come from? Temple. Whose temple? Whose temple? God's temple, right? Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land and ugly festering soils broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like the, that of a dead person and every living thing that's in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl and the rivers and springs of the water, they, they became blood. Verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. This is the God we serve. How many of you realize I owe this to you to say this, even though I'd love to say, he, he ain't, that ain't God. God loves people too much to do that. No, God loves you too much to allow that to remain. Verse 7, 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It's done. Verse 18. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like has ever occurred since mankind has been on the earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split in three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of fury of his wrath. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about a hundred pounds, fell on people. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. This is the kind of wrath and judgment that does reside within the heart of God. This is how vehemently opposed to evil and sin that he is because he is so pure and righteous and holy. And this will take place. Look at the image of Jesus in Revelation that we see that many people don't want to embrace. They see Jesus as the wandering nomad with hands folded, emaciated, sort of weakly speaking about the love of God. But this is the picture of our risen Lord, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider's name was Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. That's, pretty, that's a pretty violent picture. A warrior, king, Jesus. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release, notice this, the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe and at his thigh was written the title, King of Kings 
and Lord of Lords. Now, I don't share this with you this morning happily, right? You know, some righteously indignant people would point at a lost world and say, oh, look what God's going to do to you. No, I say this with great compassion. This is going to be poured out on a world of people that do not accept the free gift that God has provided through Jesus Christ. And, 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 there, and, and this judgment is destined to be experienced all because God is purely good and purely good cannot reside with evil. Psalm chapter 5 and verse 4 says, You are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. You are not a God that smiles at sin. Nor shall evil dwell with you. You cannot abide with evil. And so we see this side of God. When we talk about a God of love and that God is patience, that patience subdues this wrath. See, what, what, what this judgment of God shows us is that without God's divine love and intervention, we would all be undone. <laughs> we would all be judged for our sin. Oh, but thank God he provided intervention for us. And for that of the whole world, although he furiously and vehemently opposes evil, his great love has made a way for every man to escape it. Woo, that's enough to shout about this morning. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 says, But if anybody does sin, oh, thank God for these verses, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If you sin this morning, there is advocacy with God through Jesus Christ. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the entire world. Because of Jesus Christ, he removed the judgment that we just read about that is due for anyone who will not accept his free gift. Jesus himself took that wrath upon himself for us. Isaiah 53 and verse 4 through 5 and 8 says, Speaking of the nation of Israel, that word we there actually is, uh, it's a prophetic word and it's actually speaking of this is what the nation of Israel thought when Jesus was crucified, the leaders of Israel. We considered him punished by God. Punished by God, why? Because he was evil. That's what, that's what the nation of Israel believed. That's what the leaders thought, that he was evil, so they crucified him. Stricken by him and afflicted. But, notice this, this is what God says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was certainly punished. He was pierced, right? But why? Because of us. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. And so Jesus took upon himself wrath so that we did not have to receive it. Aren't you grateful that as a believer, you don't have to worry about 100-pound Rocks falling on you and you screaming in agony over it. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12 says, But our high priest Jesus, oh, I'm so grateful for him, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. For by that one offering he forever made perfect, everybody say made perfect, those who are being made holy. What that verse tells me is two things. Notice the last part, those who are being made holy. So there's a continual work in us to try and walk and live out more and more like the holiness of God. But how many of you realize you fall short of it sometimes? But the way that phrase reads is, it says he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. So what is he saying? He's saying because Jesus died on a cross for you, he removed all the sin that he hates so much. He removed all the shortcomings that caused him to be furious with certain situations in the earth. He removed it all and made you perfect so that you could be perfect in his sight and escape the coming wrath that will fall upon the sons of disobedience. So the good news today is if you've accepted the life of Jesus Christ, you've been set free from this coming wrath of God, which leads me, as the musicians come, which leads me to the conclusion of this understanding of the statement, God is patient. Because when we talk about the love of God, we need to understand the great patience that is within him that caused patience to overcome wrath. 
It caused love to overcome judgment. It caused him to send a substitute for us. When we say God is patient, we're expressing the magnitude of his love toward us, really. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. And not only his love toward us, but his love toward the whole world. See, many people see God as an angry God, mad at the world for what's taking place here on earth. You realize God loved the world, so he sent his son. He made a way for every person on this planet not to have to uh, endure the judgment that comes from a holy God that cannot dwell with sin. So Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise of his return. I put that in parentheses, but that's what he's talking about. The Lord is not slow about the promise of his return. And we realize he's coming back one day. Amen. So the Lord is not slow about his promise of his return, as some count slowness, but is patient. Here it is, but is patient toward you. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God, although he is full of wrath and fury against evil and sin and injustice and unrighteousness, he is withholding that right now. See, a lot of people think, well, I guess God's just judging me. God ain't judging you right now. He's withholding it. There will come a day. He's giving you time. <laughs> More time than we'd often give ourselves. More time than we would often give others. Scripture here in 2 Peter says, Do we not know that the day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day? We can grow weary in forgiving others and withholding our wrath and our judgment in an instant. But what this scripture says is that the God that we serve, he's withholding his judgment from us. Aren't you glad he waited for you to make the choice to accept Jesus before he poured out the judgment? <laughs> Aren't you glad he was patient with you? That same patience is afforded to every person who has yet to surrender their life to Christ. I want you to listen to the patience and forbearance of God found in the display of his grace and the delay of his judgment upon a lost world. I want to show you how harsh judgment can be that we, that's being withheld from us and that his grace is keeping us from or keeping a lost world from. I want to read to you from the words of Jonathan Edwards in his classic sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. Many theologians have struggled over this, especially those that teach about grace. But if you, re if you look at his message and the essence of his message and the conclusion of his message, it is absolutely a message of how much God loves people. But I want you to hear some of the excerpts from his message. Notice this. Just close your eyes for a moment. There is nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the mere pleasure and patience of God. That world of misery, that lake of burning brimstone is extended abroad under you. There is the dreadful pit of the glowing flames of the wrath of God. There is hell's wide gaping mouth open and you have nothing to stand on nor anything to take hold of. There is nothing between you and hell but the air. It is, the only, it is only the power and mere pleasure and patience of God that holds you up. Your wickedness makes you as if as it were heavy as lead and, is, and it tends to downward with the great weight and pressure toward hell. If God should forego his patience and let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into that bottomless gulf. It's pretty strong, isn't it? You have offended him infinitely more than, every, than ever a stubborn rebel did his prince, and it is nothing but his hand that holds you from falling under the fire every moment. There is no other reason given why you have not dropped into hell since you arose in the morning, but that God's hand has held you up. This is speaking to a lost person, right? Not a believer. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about you, ready every moment to singe and to burn asunder without the patience of God. We see the great patience and love of God that withholds this judgment that is due every sinner. 
because of his righteousness. Ezekiel expressed it this way, when sinful people die, it does not give me any joy. This is the words of God. It says, when sinful people die, it does not give me any joy, announces the Lord and King. But when they turn away from their sins and live, that makes me very happy. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, says the Lord God, and not rather that they should turn from their ways and live? God's pleasure is not dishing out wrath and judgment. See, wrath and judgment resides within him because he's holy. His pleasure is blessing people. And his love causes patience to withhold that wrath to give you time to accept what he has for you. And if you haven't done that this morning, you have the opportunity to do so. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to make a decision this morning if you have not accepted Christ. And that decision is this. It's not just a decision to escape hell. It's a decision to surrender your life to Christ and say, your way is the way I will choose to live my life. It's to confess him as your Lord, to bend your knee to him and say, I'm going to crucify me and I'm going to let you live going forward. Because of two things. Number one, I know it will protect me from the judgment to come, but even more so in this life, I know it will give me the life that I so desire. Jesus said over in Matthew, he that holds on to his life will lose it. But he that relinquishes his life will find it. It's when we lay down our lives and say, I will accept Jesus living through me as the future that I have because I know it will lead me to the place of real satisfaction I'm looking for. If you've never made that choice and you recognize you need to this morning, that it's but for the grace of God that you're here. And judgment has not fallen upon you. Here's the great thing about the patience of God. It has no expiration date on you as long as you're living. Its expiration date is the return of Jesus or the day you stop breathing. But throughout the course of your life, he is patient toward you and waiting, not angry with you because Jesus paid a price for you. So if you've never made him your Lord this morning and you need to do that, you want to make that choice. Would you raise your hand and say, yes, pastor, I need to make that choice. I don't want to go to hell. I want to accept his free gift. Anyone at all. I'm just going to wait a moment. Don't miss your chance. But for the grace of God. Jonathan Edwards said it this way. Now God stands ready to pity you because of his great patience. This is a day of mercy. You may cry out with some encouragement of obtaining mercy. Here you are in the land of the living and have an opportunity to obtain salvation. What would not those poor, damned, hopeless souls give for one day's opportunity such as you enjoy now? And now you have an extraordinary opportunity, a day when Christ has flung the door of mercy wide open and stands in the door calling and crying with a loud voice to poor sinners to fill their hearts with love and to show love to him who has loved them and washed them from their sins in his own blood. Will you accept Christ today? Anyone at all? I'm just going to wait a moment. Okay, then I believe if you haven't accepted him, he's patient with you. I pray that you make a choice before your life on this earth is through. But for those of you who have accepted Christ, his patience is extended to us as well. Look up here at me, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12 and 14. It says, but our high priest Jesus offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for our sins, good for all time. For by that one offering, notice this, he made perfect those who are being made holy. What that tells me is this, yes, we have a God that within him there is fury and indignation towards sin, but his patience says, I made a way by giving Jesus to remove any fury or indignation I would have towards someone who has accepted Christ. And I've made them perfect. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm holy before a living God because of Jesus. But I want you to notice the next part of this. There is an essence of patience he has with us even as believers. It says, for by that one offering, he made, forever made perfect those who are being made holy. So what that tells me is, is that we're on a progressive path of becoming more like Jesus. And what that tells me is this, that when you fall short of the mark, certainly it doesn't please him. But you know why it doesn't please him? It's not like it doesn't please him like he's angry at you. 
He's displeased because you're just not living up to your potential. He's displeased because of the pain and hurt that that sin will cause you, not because he's judging you, but because the wages of sin is death. And as I've always said, if you play in the devil's backyard, he'll bite you. And he's, he's not happy about a dog biting you that he don't want to bite you. Amen? But what it does say here is that we are perfect while we're on that path. And he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. He is patient with you. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 is being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. There are those here right now, and you're beating yourselves up, that are believers. You're a believer, and you're beating yourself up for your sins. You're struggling with things that you wish you could shake, that Jesus paid to set you free from, and you think God's angry with you. But I am confident of this very thing, that he that began the work in you will not forsake it. He will continue to work with you lovingly and patiently. That's not an excuse to wallow in it, but it's certainly good news to know that he's not he, he loves you and he's not angry with you for it. Amen? Amen. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, we'll close. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He, does, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Can you see now how knowing the wrath and indignation that he has for injustice and how patience curbs that back until a coming day that helps us walk in love? Why? Because it lets us know that, as the scripture says, be angry and sin not. There are times you're going to get angry. There are times you're going to get frustrated with injustice and being done wrong and being misperceived, just like God does. He does. But love will always say, I'm going to hold it back. Amen? It's not, it, it lets us know that there are going to be times where we're frustrated. But the love of God allows us to be patient. And this is love. And this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that the, we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Father, I thank you so much. I've done my best to administer the office that you've called me to stand in. To show people a whole, a, a bit more of a whole picture of a God of love. That a God of love does have fury and indignation within him over injustice and unholiness. But because of your great love and patience, you made a way for us to be free from that wrath by sending Jesus. I am so grateful that I am not a child that's under wrath. <laughs> I'm under your blessing. And each person that calls upon your name is in that same boat. I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. If you're here this morning... And you struggle with something. You know, I just feel like there might be somebody here. You don't like what you're doing, but you, and you know it doesn't please God because it's not living up to your potential as a believer, but you're struggling with it. I want you to know the same wrath and fury of God that will judge sin one day also comes to bear on your behalf to drive things out of your life that are unjust and that you don't want there. There's deliverance and help available for you. So here's what I want to do to close the service. I don't want to keep you too long. I don't want to belabor a point, but I don't want to miss an opportunity when God wants to do something in people's lives. I'm going to ask everybody to stand to your feet. Shannon, I'm going to ask you just lead us in a song as we worship a holy God with a newfound gratitude that says, Lord, I am so grateful that you are so holy. And even though before I accepted Christ, I wasn't, I am now. I'm right with you. I don't have to be afraid of you. Amen? Amen. But as we're singing that song, if you are here this morning and there is something you want to shake free from, you want your life to be pleasing to him. You're amongst family. You don't have to be ashamed of that. I'm going to ask you to just make your way to the front so that I can pray for you and believe God for deliverance in your life. Amen. Thank you. Let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's worship him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God.
Thank you, Lord Jesus. 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 Thank you, Father. With all creation I see. Thank you, Father. Praise to the King of Kings. Thank you, Lord. If there's anybody else, just you make your way to the front. There is deliverance for you this morning. And I will adore you. I just thank you for the compassion of God that you're not angry with us. You're not angry. I pray that in a message like this that we would not walk away from here seeing an angry, furious God. We would see a compassionate, loving God whose long-suffering far outweighs and is far greater than the anger that could be poured out upon us. We would see through the wrath for injustice and unholiness that resides within him. The love of a father, the love of a father emerging forth from that great fury and withholding judgment and providing a way through the holy person of Jesus. Thank you for your unspeakable gift. Thank you for your great mercy. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just lift your hands and worship Him. Acknowledge His holiness this morning. You are my everything. And I will, I will adore you. Adore you. Holy, holy, holy. Declare His holiness. The Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. different picture of God maybe a little bit or maybe a little more refined you know I, I really poured over this yesterday 
get my wife from Christmas shopping a little later than necessary. Because <laughs> I just spent, I, I just wanted to make sure I got this right. I pray I got this right. I, I never, God is not in the business of scaring people. He's not in the God, he's not a God of fear. But I will tell you, he is an awesome, powerful, holy, righteous, just God. And when we talk about him here at Grace in the light of love and the goodness of God, we always need to remember and be grateful for the fact that it's that goodness that keeps us from that wrath. Amen. I'm so grateful for Jesus, and I'm glad he was patient enough to wait on me. Amen. And as a believer today, you can know you're right with him. He loves you. He's not angry with you. And if you're not perfect yet in your walk, you're perfect in his eyes, and he's working through things with you. Amen. Amen. Prayer partners, if you'll make your way to the front, if you have something that you need or uh, that didn't get addressed this morning, you'd like to pray with them, they're available. Let me pray a prayer over you this morning and bless you. Father, thank you for each person here. Thank you that you love them. I pray that your hand of blessing rests upon them, that your angels camp about them, that wherever they put their hand to prospers, wherever they go, they succeed. Thank you no harm comes near their dwelling. You bear them up and keep them safe from every pestilence and disease. And I thank you for bringing them back here to worship with somebody with them. In Jesus' name, as we discover who you are. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you all. Have a great Sunday. We will see you next Sunday, but don't forget about Patrick on Wednesday night. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Grace Family Church podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this message. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, we would love for you to get connected. Just go to gfcva.info to learn more about who we are, how to give to this ministry, or how you can get involved. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.